Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 109 is recorded live March 29th, 2012. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and here's some of the articles we're going to be covering this week on the show. We have a committee holds bill on selling compressed air. We have a tragic accident uh, with an air tank. We also have ghost ship floating around, and we have an underwater view that we'll be talking about. But before we get started into that, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. We have Mac, our dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing pretty good. Watching the month countdown. Oh, it's getting there. Only a few days left. And then we also have Jim Schultz joining us this week. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing much better. Thanks, Darren. Excellent. Now, this this weather, I, I, it's like I feel like a broken record. It's like every week we come in, we talk about how unusual this weather is. But I, I think this we can officially say we are in the beginning of non-ice dive season. I'd say that's a good statement, even though it was a little chilly yesterday morning. Yeah, we we did have a little frost on the ground, but yeah, I'm going to let that pass because it has been just so beautiful outside. Yeah, once the daffodils come up, it's no longer ice dive season. Is it, you is might that, get an ice dive in, but it's not ice dive season. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So we are ready. If you are listening to the show, that's because you're interested in scuba diving. And if you're interested in the show and you haven't been scuba diving yet, what is what are you waiting for? Go out there and get your training started. And just to tease you before we get to the part of the show where we talk about our last dives, we're going to jump on into the news. And as always, a bonus, we're going to give the chat room links as we cover them, if I can remember to paste them in there. Excellent chat room tonight. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. It's such a pleasure to see everyone in there. And then uh, we also appreciate our online listeners. So if you just happen to listen by downloading the podcast, that's great. So the first episode up is we have a follow-up from uh, a few weeks ago. We have a second meeting scheduled for that lake in Kentucky. As the article comes up, here we go. Second, what's that? I was going to say, yeah, that's a Greenbow Lake State Resort Park Lodge. Yep. So if you remember, I think from a couple weeks ago, we had the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife is now scheduled to hold a second public meeting on April 12th to discuss a proposal to allow scuba diving within a 10-acre section of the Greenbow Lake in Greenup County, Kentucky. The meeting will be at 7 p.m. at the Lake State Resort Park Lodge. If you're a diver in the area, I think you might want to head on out there and uh, express your opinion. Uh, divers, what they're proposing is they would allow divers to use the area from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. April through October, uh, October, and the area would be open for fishing outside of those times. Now, that seems to be a little different. Uh, was that what they're proposing before, do you remember? That was no diving, as I recollect. Well, there's no diving now. But they were talking about having hearings to allow it. But that time, which I don't think the time's necessarily bad. I mean, it's better than nothing, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. I mean, that gives you a little bit of time. But I'm also thinking that puts it outside of fishing time. Generally, at least you got high noon here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a compromise. Ideally, you'd like to be able to go diving at any time. But if that's as good as you're going to be able to get, that will let you have the opportunity to get in the water there and see it around. So. I encourage anybody in the Kentucky area who could go down there and express your opinion. Uh, you know, if you don't show up and that shows no interest, then that's what we get. We don't get any any new dive sites. Yeah, yeah, light dives are nice, but that also is, from what I understand, prime time for fishing. So this sounds like a good compromise. Yeah, I mean, if 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 the divers really want to get there, then maybe for twilight there could be another process. Yeah, I and I have no idea. I haven't been down there at that site, but you never quite know how busy it is. Uh, you know, maybe there's a, a potential to have late nights on certain times of the year or something for night dives. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure something can be worked out. And we go from that into a quarry in, uh, as, as reported by the Cork Herald, or York, I say Cork, York Herald. 
Uh, and this one is a news editorial. Uh, what they're saying is too bad for the owner of the old quarry on Hokes Mill Road in West Manchester Township. Doesn't go by the common York County name of Ness. Uh, then they could have their own little Loch Ness. So the article goes on that they've got a quarry that they have closed up and it is, it is flooded. And this editorial piece is saying, let's do something with it. Currently, the company who owns the site is uh, Kinsley Construction. They have no immediate plans for the lake. I don't think we'll be doing anything with it, says the company counsel, uh, Barbara Sardella. And uh, they're saying that's a shame. This particular piece is talking about there's a lot of things that could be done with the lake. It could be opened up. They said right now it's fenced off, and it's just an excuse for kids to get in trouble and uh, hang out. They're hoping it could be made into a public area, would give it for use, which includes swimming, boating, fishing, and scuba diving. Okay, and then the next one is committee holds bill on selling compressed air. Uh, this is from where? St. Thomas, where? This is the uh, Virgin, like Virgin Islands. Islands. Yeah, St. Thomas. The Senate House Health, the Senate Health and Hospitality Committee discussed legislation. Tuesday to regulate the sale of compressed air used for scuba diving, but they decided to hold the bill in committee for further revisions. The bill, sponsored by Senator Lewis Hill, would make it illegal to sell or provide breathable compressed air to anyone who is not a trained diver. The bill includes a penalty of a $10,000 fine or up to a year in prison for violation of the proposed law. They are encouraging discussion uh, on the particular news site, so if you follow our show notes, which should be posted which may be a little later than normal this week, but you can follow. But this is the Virgin Island Daily News. And uh, what, is, what is your take on this, Mac? I think it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, uh, that's the same thing. If that's true, and I loan my buddy a dive tank that who's not certified but can dive, I just broke the freaking law. Yeah. Well, see, that's... See, these... Well, the, chat room raised a good, the chat room raised a good question. What about paintball tanks? Well, I was going to say that's the next thing that leads forward, other than they don't normally have 3,000 pounds of pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's true. And, and all these bills to somebody outside the industry sounds good. And what I'm imagining is this is a reaction to the diver in, who, uh, from Canada who went to Mexico and is allegedly died from contaminated gas. So it sounds like they're trying to legislate it a little bit because I'm sure – in a particular dive destination, if somebody did provide bad air, that would hurt the tourism economy. Well, the other part doesn't say anything about selling. It says, or provide. So if your buddy has a compressor, persist, he can't fill your tank unless right. you're a certified diver, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyone who's not a trained diver. Now, without seeing the exact wording of the bill, the way they've got it here, just in the comments, you know, what does training mean? You know, if I take you into the shallows at the beach and I say, here, breathe on this. And I say, okay, now I have trained you. Uh, is, is that going to do it? But, but here, here's another example. Say I'm tied up at work and I want my wife to go pick up my tanks for me. She's, she's got my tanks. She is not going to use the tanks. She just wants to get the air. The dive shop knows my tanks. <laughs> they know my wife. She goes in, she gets the air. They, they technically have just broken the law. Absolutely. But, yeah, of course, your tanks are really so easy to find. The, your, tanks the easy ones to find. your tanks are the easy ones to find. They're the ones that are hot pink. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what do I say? But uh, No, it's just so you can find them easily. Yeah. Did, did anybody sign on to look at some of these comments? No, I have not signed on to look at the comments. Uh, that did might you go be interesting to do. I'm curious. What what started this? Yeah, I this, the commenting system on this particular website that I'm I'm not a big fan with, so I can't get in there. Uh, Jim, what's the chat room saying? Uh, pink is the new black. <laughs> well, certainly. Uh, it goes, goes with everything. Yeah, chat, room, chat room's commenting, you know, about the paintball, and uh, it seems to be, you know, conversation about other compressed gases, but uh, it doesn't sound like it's very popular in the chat room. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Well, what about the guys who, you know, homemade geezer gas? They're going to make that out loud, too? Oh, don't even they they have, the people making this law haven't even thought of that. Don't even let them know it exists. I, I think somebody spent too much time in Washington D.C. before they went back to the Virgin Islands. Uh, you can't legislate stupid. <laughs> well, let Darwin take care of it. Yeah, we we know we've tried to legislate stupid. 
Well, go ahead. So from there, we go t- from uh, not being able to fill tanks to making tanks. Worthington Industries has declared a quarterly dividend. Uh, the And the reason I like to follow these companies in the dive industry is just to get kind of an idea of the health that they're doing. Of course, Worthington makes more than just compressed air tanks for scuba diving, even though I think that's the only thing they should, should bother making. The rest is just incidental. But uh, they've, they're declaring a dividend of $0.12 cents per share. The dividend is payable on June 29th for shareholders record on June 15th. Marks the 178th consecutive quarter that has paid a dividend since it became a public company, which is pretty impressive to consider how the economy has been over the year to have that long of a dividend streak. How do you know if it's a Worthington Bank? I'm just curious. Anybody know? I don't know. Dave in the chat room, he, he might know. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a identification in the, uh, the factory stamps that will let you know who the manufacturer of the tank was. A lot of times it's the original stamp in the first hydro that indicates the manufacturer. So it's that first, uh, is it single digit or a couple digits? Well, it, it's in the hydro itself. Usually it's a symbol in the hydro, mm-hmm. and the symbol represents the company. Okay. So if you decide to make it, a... I've got it on sheets somewhere in my my book for rolling and stuff that explains the different manufacturers and what their symbol is. So it's, so it's almost like fine jewelry. So that's one of the things you do when you form a company is you have to come up with a really cool stamp that can be punched into the tank. Dave in the chat room is saying anything currently excess scuba is a Worthington. Hey, if you look that up, they actually do have their own tanks. Worthington Aluminum 80 is actually 150 bucks. Aluminum Aluminum 40 by Worthington is 140. So they do have their own markings on their tanks. They also make steel. Yes, yeah. I'm more familiar with their their steel tanks than the aluminum. And then we have a kind of a sad case. Unfortunately, the the individual involved is, ends up being okay, but we have a what they're calling a freak accident. A Garland firefighter was was hurt when uh, an air tank fractured his skull over the weekend. Whoa. Bobby Brinkley was struck in the face by a high-pressure air tank, according to the Garland Firefighters Association. He had been with the department for about two years, and he is in intensive care in the Parkland Hospital. On Saturday morning, uh, Brinkley and other members of the Swiftwater Rescue Squad were called from uh, Fire Station 8 to the Rowlett Creek Preserve to rescue a dog that was trapped in the creek. The team is using a high-air pressure tank, similar to a scuba tank. So imagine uh, they're they're using the the other high-pressure tanks they have uh, to fill a raft with a rescue dog. But somehow the tank became disengaged from the raft, and the high-pressure launched the heavy metal tank into a projectile. The tank struck him in the face, fracturing a skull, and he was taken by uh, an airlift helicopter to the hospital. Uh, after the volunteers had attended to him, they went back and were able to rescue the dog. But that, I mean, it. Is a Garland firefighter with a fractured skull. Yeah, that that is uh, scary. How much energy can be in these tanks? Now, Jim, you've got some experience with the type yeah. of tanks they're talking about. How do you think something mm-hmm. like that can happen? Well, your your valve's going to have a ninety degree discharge. You know, it doesn't come straight out. It's much like a scuba tank. It's got a ninety degree discharge, so it'll spin uh, versus become a rocket. Uh, depending on the hose they had on it, you know, he may have been gotten hit by the hose or a flying coupling, and they're saying it's the tank. So I'd have to dig into it a little bit more. But even if the tank did come off, now one of the interesting things, firefighting tanks have a screw thread, uh, much like a similar to a dent, but the uh, thread actually threads there's a nipple that goes inside the tank, and then the thread couplings go around the outside of the tank. So getting that to come off is highly unlikely once it's screwed on. Uh, I'd be more inclined to think it was a hose that snapped, but either way, getting smacked with a tank is is going to hurt. Yeah, because they, they so. discussed that they're, they were filling probably a inflatable raft, so they probably had an adapter on, so probably some... Yeah question is, where was that regulator? You know, did they use a, a three-foot hose to come off the tank and then go to the regulator, and the regulator kind of sat right by the the, the raft or not? So, you know, there's, there's two real questions in this. One, how did the tank issue happen? And two, uh, the bigger question is, should fire departments and emergency rescue departments risk human life for animal life? 
I mean, they were out to save a dog. And as much as I love animals, you've got to make that call of, you know, when do you put a, you know, if the, if you're doing a swift water rescue or an ice rescue, uh, when do you put human life in danger to save an animal? You know, I, I agree with you on this, you know, also being in some of the public safety in, in previous uh, moments of my life. Uh, but don't you think that sometimes that actually presents an opportunity for training? I mean, obviously, we're not going to go to extremes uh, to save the animal, but you know, it's it's an it's a, an opportunity with a purpose to do some training. It it is. It's a live call. It's a live training. Um, you know, anytime you're doing a live training where you don't control the environment, you're running risk. But yeah, it it can be used as a training opportunity if you take an experienced guy and someone with less experience, you team them up, and you you know good chance for someone to get more comfortable. Uh, it's also a great public relations opportunity. And, you know, every service organization needs public relations opportunities. So, you know, it could be a real negative public relations opportunity if the fire department goes out there, looks at it and says, nope, we're not going to go. You know, so you're almost, you know. So by, by the nature of being dispatched, you're saying they're, they're probably not going to be able to turn it down. Yeah. You know, it, it's extremely difficult yeah. to uh, to turn it down once you're on scene. Yeah. Well, also, you know, especially uh, I, people who volunteer in this area, myself included, uh, you, you kind of have a little bit of macho there. So, you know, once you get out there, you you, you know, unless it's just extremely crazy, you, you don't want to admit that it's something you can't handle. Yeah. And in the United States, I mean, basic when you don't know who else to call, you call a fire department. Yeah. We always say police officers need heroes. That's why God made firemen. Yeah. Well, you know, my my wife currently works for the animal control, and uh, she actually called me about uh, well, it was about three months ago. Uh, they had a dog in a river, and they were looking for anybody who had a boat. So I called Bob up, and we were actually on our way out there when they were able to coax the dog out of the water. But yeah, there's there's many avenues to be doing the same thing. Now I wouldn't call what we were doing would be swift water, but uh, certainly. Yeah, we've we've actually been called to do deer rescues of deer through the ice. Yeah. Now that's a that's a strange one. Well, because they I, do not like to be rescued unless they're almost exhausted, unconscious. Well, plus if it's in season and you have a tag, you got kind of a conflict of interest there too. <laughs> well, you know, it depends how far off the road you want to go before you hit the deer with a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on to the next one. Ladder found off the G. Jam Nagar Coaster Suspicion, and I have no idea where this even is, what part of the world, but the investigating officials for the Central Intelligence Bureau, Coast Guard, Navy, and the Jam Nagar Police Wednesday found two parts of an aluminum ladder beneath the sea, 12 nautical miles off the coast. This is the same place where an AK-47 assault rifle and 39 live cartridges with a magazine stuck in a fishing net was found. On Wednesday, an operation was carried out by different agencies in the sea. We have with us three fishermen who had found the AK-47. During the search, we found the ladder in a broken condition. We will rope off, We will rope in scuba divers now for a deep-sea search into the sea. Uh, so what they're, it sounds like they're talking about is that maybe some Pakistani terrorists have used the coast. Yeah, I think that part where they said the finding of the AK-47 rifle assumes significance in the mm-hmm. light of the fact that Pakistani terrorists have used the coast to reach. Mumbai, Mumbai, and wreck havoc three years ago. Yeah. So I think the, the item of finding the rifle is more acute than looking for a freaking ladder. Well, it sounds like they they found the the rifle and the the bullets. Well, I, I guess they're counting the bullets. It probably was rifle with magazine. Yeah. And the bullets just happened to be in it. But it just seems awful. I mean, I guess it, I guess part of it would have to be in the condition. If you pulled it up in a net and it's like pristine, then that might cause things. But really, that's a that's telling you something probably already happened. Because I imagine what could be is if I'm on a vessel and I wasn't planning on coming into the, the coast and docking at a port where I know I'm going to be searched, and then for some reason I have to come in, I might want to ditch some things that could get me in trouble. Well, they said the rifle was in good condition and has yeah. been and looked to be uh, recently dumped. Yeah. But but what was even more puzzling is the ladder. You know, the rifle, I can see where that got suspicion, but now they've got the ladder in broken condition. You know, how does that tie in? Is that just something else they happen to find out there? Is that a ship's ladder? That's the other aspect. Yeah, it is. Well, it said aluminum. Ladder. It said aluminum ladder, so I was almost picturing like it was a 
aluminum ladder. Yeah, two parts of an aluminum ladder. So I'm picturing it's a, you know, like a regular ladder we would have in the house, especially since it's in two parts, but we don't know. But 12 miles off, I don't know how, how shallow the water is there, but you know, here in Michigan, 12 miles off, I mean, you're, you're talking fairly deep. Yeah, but why would you care if you found a freaking ladder anywhere? <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't mind finding an AK, though. Yeah. I mean, the I mean, ladder might have a little bit of scrap value. And this next article was, and, and we really didn't cover this trade show uh, beneath the sea too much, but uh, so I'm trying to even remember where beneath the sea is supposed to be. This is, uh, it was a 36th annual beneath the sea uh, Meadowlands Exhibition Center. Is that in uh, Jersey? Meadowlands, that's Jersey, yeah, just outside New York City. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, uh, and, and this this one is actually from the Dive Photo Guide. They're they're talking about their first impressions of the show and some of the things they've come on. And, and they it's a nice website. I like viewing some of the things they have in photography. But what I thought was really interesting is how they're getting ready to launch a new magazine. Uh, let me see if I can find the name of it. It is, oh, I read it a minute ago. Oh, Scuba Diver Through the Lens is the name of the magazine. So, yeah, I'd be kind of. I need to see if I, how I can pick up a copy. I'd love to to see what it is. And then farther on in the article, they had some uh, cool gear that they they saw to show. Of course, all stuff way above above what I'm going to be buying. It is interesting though that some of the stuff would be applicable to what some of our divers have. With the GoPro handle, that looked quite interesting, and the filter arrangement for it. Yeah, that looked interesting also. Almost looks like you got an LED screen around the uh, filter. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure uh, what those those exactly are, but definitely cool gear. So, and that's an area I want to learn more about. I want to learn more about. I want I want to do a video version of the podcast. So I I need to brush up on those skills. Rich Sinewick Diver Sink has been talking about uh, different cameras on his show, so it's got me all interested to get some stuff put together this year. So after the dry suit. Probably after the back wing and plate, then comes the camera. And then when do you get the DPV? Oh, that won't be too too far after that. But that that is farther down on it on it on the on the list of items to go and buy. This next one really wasn't an article, but just something that came in my email box, and I thought our listeners might be interested in it. You know, I've always been a longtime fan of National Geographic, and they've got a new art uh, issue coming out, and it's hitting the newsstands uh, right about now. And it's the April issue, and it says, What Really Happened to Titanic? A New Technologies Reveal Surprising Images and Answers. So uh, National Geographic jumped on the bandwagon like everybody else with this anniversary, and uh, we'll have to check it out. And this one's from a Smithsonian blog, and they are talking about some of the greatest dive sites in the world. So I'm always looking for new places to go out there and dive. So they give us some items to tease, like we need an excuse to get in the water anymore. And some of these aren't too surprising. They list in the in the article. Uh, one of them is the Great Hole of Belize, uh, wrecks off Papua New Guinea, the Red Sea, Egypt, where Claire happens to be. Yeah, uh, as cold as 65 degrees. Oh, that cold? <laughs> That's what it said here. With waters in January, as cold as 65. Oh, I, I know. Uh, Claire, <laughs> Claire today was saying how cold it was over there and or it wasn't, it wasn't even so much how cold it was. She was saying how, how poor the visibility is. So I, I uh, messaged her back and I said, how, how, how bad is bad this? So I'm looking forward to hearing what her response is. It's probably a little more than we see, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, except for those exceptional days that we will have this year. Uh, uh, but on average, you know, we're, we're happy with 15 to 20 in Lake Michigan, I would say, normally. And uh, I'm, I'm bet when they talk about bad viz, that's probably would be terrible to, to them. Also in this article, they mentioned the Great Barrier Reef, Monterey Bay, California. So I think it's a good start. That's that's a good short list. Some of those pictures are nice. That blue hole of Belize, that looks awful, awful nice. Does that look inviting right there? It says, Come "Oh man, doesn't it?" Explore me. Almost looks like a big eye eyeball. It does. Yep. You know, and really, what that I, I think what they need to do is a Bond movie. Doesn't look like a lair from a Bond movie. You know, like you know, you would you would go down there and then out in the side and somewhere in the bottom of the blue hole would be the lair. He'd have some massive weapon that would float up the middle and go and launch. That'd be cool. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't really need any more 
more more sites to to dive but and then we go from uh the warm into ice diving and this one caught my eye because they they make it sound like ice diving is something new well for caledonia it probably is <laughs> <laughs> catalonia not caledonia so uh is that what is that what it is scuba diving at a ski resort yeah so the this is a ski resort uh the ports an eye ski resort located in Catalina, Pyrenees, offers courses and diving under the ice at an altitude of 2,200 meters high. The activity is thought out for scuba divers who want to dive under the an atmospheric pressure that differs from the sea. The idea is to turn the ski resort, which is less than two hours away from Barcelona, into a training center for this activity with the support of the uh, Catalan Federation of Scuba Diving. Of course, they go on to talk about all the hotels you can stay in. But what caught my eye, as they said, uh, one of the experts there explained that ice, that diving under the ice started 10 years ago in Switzerland and the United States and now has arrived in the west coast of Catalonia. So how long has the Mud Club been doing ice dives? It has to be more than 10 years. Oh, we've, I've got 30 out in a row for the New Year's dives. Okay. So, so this is more of a case of... Uh, Either they're referring to when did ice diving certification get started, or it's just somebody not fact-checking somebody who's supposed to be an expert. Sounds more like that, yes. Yeah, because I, I just thought that, and I knew I had to check because there's, you know, because that first my first impression of it was almost like they had decided that nobody had ever thought that you could use scuba gear under ice. But uh, kind of an interesting spin on that would have to be the altitude. I mean, just a normal high-altitude dive. But then when you can combine it with ice diving, it seems like that would be a unique mix. Yes. And also physiological, yeah, your body. (laughs) It would be a little different. Yeah, it would be interesting to know how deep they're going to go. Like that one last week, remember, they just want to get their head under because that was high-altitude also. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking if you're staying there at that site, and then that also would have to play a factor in it. Well, they, of course, you're two hours in, so I guess you could drive in, do the dive, and go out. So, uh, This next article is a, uh, a ghost ship haunts the Canadian coast. Uh, this one is from the Vancouver Sun. They said uh, the, the vessel, after being flushed out to sea last year by a massive tsunami and earthquake, the Japanese squid fishing boat has drifted across the Pacific Ocean, 120 miles off the British Columbia coast Friday evening, the 150-foot ship was found drifting right side up on the southern tip of Hadagui. Gosh, people must just cringe when we say names. Uh, it had been driven across the Pacific for a year, so it's pretty beat up. Beat up. The Marine Search Coordinator Jeff Olson and Victoria's Joint Rescue—he's a of Victoria's Joint Rescue Coordination Center. So. Gosh, it, it doesn't say if they took it under tow. I can't believe they wouldn't have salvaged it. Well, it's almost like they're trying to figure out what to do. With well, if it's free-floating, nobody's on it. It's one, hazard to navigation, take it under tow, bring it in. My understanding, you got the salvage for it. Yeah, it seems like that would make sense that you would just pick it up. But, wow, look. And you see how high it's riding in the water? So it's obviously got some uh, ballast in there. Yeah. Well, it's 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 amazing just the condition of the vessel. I mean, in one aspect, it's it's doing remarkably well for bobbing around for a year. Yeah. Then another aspect, it kind of looks worse for wear. So it's you know, just the way the the rust and everything has gone. So just it just shows how much maintenance you got to do in a boat. <laughs> so uh, you know, maybe I don't know enough about the tsunami, but did they lose a lot of boats of this size? I don't know. I thought that uh, we were supposed to be getting impacted by all the debris back on the uh, on the West Coast this summer. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really heard too much about that yet. Well, I mean, in a way, this would make sense. I mean, if you think about how long this boat has taken, you know. But but then also, you've it's not like the currents. You know, the wind blows it and it goes straight on over. It's kind of a loop, so it's going to get in those currents, and you know, it, it might be years. You know, it just has to be the right amount of conditions. In fact, some of it, I wouldn't be surprised, eventually ends up back in Japan. I'm just curious where it was at. They said we're off of British Columbia's north coast. Yeah, the north coast, uh, about 140 mi- uh, nautical miles from Cape St. James. I'm not exactly sure where that is. Yeah, I don't think it's entered any of the shipping lanes yet. It's just uh, part of the junk that's floating around. It is interesting, though. 
Next up is we have an article about Jacques Cousteau. Anything about Jacques Cousteau, I just feel I'm obligated to, to cover. I'm still looking for old episodes of the show. I cannot believe somebody has not repackaged those and broadcast them. I found maybe two or three on YouTube, and that is it. So, Are you talking about Cousteau? Well, the, 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 the Cousteaus, you know, the Undersea oh, okay. World of Jacques Cousteau. They did yeah. a special on the network. Oh, was it about last year where they had they ran a series of them, and I DVR'd a couple of them. But they, it was kind of an unusual selection. It was only a few. So what I must imagine is that there must be some rights issues, you know, like who owns them and who gets money when they get played. And so, but this article is talking about some of Jacques Cousteau's accomplishments and what he did, uh, both for awareness for underwater life and also for filming. Interesting comment from the chat room. Jeff's made a comment that uh, Cousteau's second wife uh, didn't want to allow any of the broadcasting of his old shows. You know, there was a falling out between he and his son at one point. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah. I don't. Oh, he, he and his son. Yeah. You his know, son, I don't. Your son, Philo. John Michael. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm trying to remember. And there's a lot of information on the internet about this. But uh, last year we covered the uh, the vessel. What was the name of the vessel that he had? The, the Calypso. Calypso. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was Calypso, and then there was another one that had a. Uh, uh, try yeah. sail. Yeah, yeah, it had the sail. It was like a wings. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, and because I can remember in the show where they were t- where Jacques Cousteau was designing it and trying to get it going, and then you didn't see much of it. Uh, and then the Calypso had sank a couple times. Uh, they were tra- getting ready to tow it back to France, and somebody ran into it in a river, and then they had to raise it, but it was in bad condition. But there was a special on TV. Or no, maybe it was on YouTube about a year and a half ago. Uh, it was in French, so it was a little bit hard to follow, but they showed them redoing it. Uh, what kind of bothered me about them when they were redoing the boat is it was originally made with American pine off of Oregon, and they had determined in the recreation that American pine wasn't proper for it because it had to be sustainably grown to be used in the renovation. Of course, they were asking for a lot of money, so if you wanted to give them money to help them do that, that was fine. Well, you figure he had 80 expositions, 65 films, and 50 books. Oh, it just, just absolutely amazing between, uh, you know, the writing, the TV shows. He lived from 1910 to uh, 1997. Yeah, he was 87 when he died. Yeah. So, the reason he uh, died, he quit diving at 86. Is that what killed him? Well, you know what they say, you know, you don't, you don't quit skydiving because you get old. You get old because you quit skydiving. Same thing with diving. Yeah. Seems to work for you, Mac. Yeah. Part of the article talks about him uh, doing uh, logged 500 dives uh, one summer. <laughs> if I lived on a boat and had free air, I could too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember watching. What's that? I was going to say, especially where some of the places he did. Oh, absolutely. And then to see him when he did too. And then we go from Jacques Cousteau seeing under the water to underwater coming from Google. Yeah, I so, want to see that satellite. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one's not even a satellite. Uh, the uh, the reason why we had covered this a few weeks back where they're making uh, Google Ocean underwater, but this one they're actually, uh, you know, kind of like how you have the street view for cars. They have the same thing yeah. going for, uh, what they call it, the Catalan Sea View Survey, and it aims to carry a comprehensive survey to help the reef and educate public about the importance of the marine ecosystem. Uh, so what they actually did is they created an underwater vehicle, uh, not call it a vehicle, an ROV, remote-operated vehicle, that came available in Google Maps so Internet users would be able to follow the dive virtually. So very similar to Street View. So what you can do is you can go to different points where the craft has gone, and then you can do a 360 view from wherever it's at. So they custom-built the technology. See, I would, I think that would be great to do in the Great Lakes and have it, like, do it like connect the dots. So you take the wrecks that we have in Lake Michigan and you have it go and do a survey of the wreck and then traverse between the wrecks as a way of creating awareness of the of the shipwrecks that we have in, in the Great Lakes. Hey, while we're having it traverse the wrecks, we could get it to string a line between them, then we could just swim it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I need a space. line from the shore to the wreck so we don't need a boat. Yeah, that's, that's true. Of course, that you know, five mile line can get pretty long sometimes. Yeah. Well, you gotta have a scuba. You have to have a little DPV there. Well, and then you do a rebreather. So yeah, if you start, if you 
If you started from the from the beach there in Bridgman, and you had a line that you could follow right on out to the rack, that wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, that'd be a long freaking swim. <laughs> mm. How many tanks are you carrying? <laughs> Even with a rebreather. Yeah. You know, those rebreather guys can't can't get their heartbeats up. <laughs> yeah. And then this next one is actually a press release from DEMA out of San Diego, California. They're submitted comments in favor of delaying a deadline for certain requirements for Titles 2 and 3 of the American with Disabilities Act, and they did this on March 23rd. The extension of the date for compliance with the new requirement proposed for the just, by, the justice, by the Department of Justice are related to provision of accessibility entry and exit for swimming pools, spas outlined in the 2012 ADA standards. Uh, the comments were submitted by Tom Ingram of DEMA's Executive Director, to properly and safely teach new students the fundamentals of recreation diving, a pool is often used. These pools are found in dive centers or in facilities leased for the purpose of conducting this training. Such facilities are operated and owned by small or micro businesses, sometimes operating with small gross incomes and earning minimal profits. With an understanding that proper entry and exit is necessary for training facilities used to teach diving and physically challenged individuals, DEEM and the diving industry strongly supported the proposed 180-day extension of the implementation of the new ADA requirements suggested in the notice of proposed rulemaking, commented Tom Ingram, the executive director. The extension would provide pool owners and operators additional time to evaluate their accessibility options and implement the necessary changes to comply with the required standards. And then they, they go on some more. But what are your thoughts on this? I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, are they talking about delaying it or are they going to be able to do some exceptions? I've always been a in favor of providing access, but does does it have to be a sample of access or does it have to be access to everywhere? Well, I know at the YMCA they have a lift that you can actually sit in that can rotate you over and get you in the pool, which is fine because that's a public item they charge. But if I have my own little pool in my backyard and I'm going to teach you diving, I don't think I need to do that. Number two is, if I don't choose to teach you because you are handicapped because of the liability, then I think that should be my option and not be beat upon if I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you can force somebody to do something that's going to prevent them from having a living, essentially. I mean, if you can't continue a viable business because of requirements, you're you're taking that, that right away. Uh, you know, and I, and I think there could be a compromise in that somehow. Like if I'm a dive instructor... Uh, let's take the liability part out, but let's just talk about the access. If I'm a dive instructor and I have my own pool and it's not aid, like I, I can't provide access, I didn't, you know, I don't have a way of doing that. But what if I can provide them access to a pool in the area that does meet those conditions? Does would is is that allowable? I mean, if I got well, a yeah, it's like like where they give the classes down here at uh, the YMCA. You're already if you rent that facility to do your classes. You've got that if you need it, if you're going to teach handicapped. Yeah, because that, that pool is going to be more expensive. So why do I need to add it on to all my classes when, you know, I might have one student out of 30 who I'm going to run into that? So if, if it comes into it and he says, you know what, I want to really take this, this class this time, you know, if I can make an arrangement to use the pool where he can gain access or she can gain access, it seems like that would be fine. Well, you know... <laughs> That's also more expensive because you've got to have more dedicated time in many instances if they do have a disability that would require you to facilitate rescue or until they got proficient at the minimum. How many students, you know, it's economics. Yeah. Well, right. But, you know, I, I think as long as you make an effort, I think it's to everybody's benefit. Uh, you know, because like we had Jim Elliott on from Dive Heart. And what he was mentioning is that, you know, if you're a dive shop and you cater to people with special needs like that and you do the program properly, you actually don't train one diver. You train three divers. Yeah, volunteers. Yeah, because they're going to need some assistance. So. But, uh, you know, so there's DEMA out looking for the uh, dive shop owners now. I don't know exactly what position they're going to end up taking, but maybe it's just a delay to help people have some time. So that does it for the news, but we do have some cool scuba gear that we can talk about. This first one the chat room was talking about before the show, which was the iPhone case. And I, I keep on saying I've wanted one of these. Uh, we had a Kickstart project where a filmmaker had an iPhone underwater case rated for 100 feet. And now that I see it, I'm not so sure if I actually want it. 
So this is uh, Gizmodo actually did the report on this case, and it's, it looks like a clear Lexan case with a hatch at the bottom, and there's three buttons on the phone or on uh, through the case. It's waterproof case up to 100 feet. It's the TAT7's iPhone scuba case. Uh, $85 is what they're saying, and it can be installed in just seconds. You just slide the phone in, close the door, and there's a lanyard on it, so uh, it can be attached to your wrist. And the three buttons. So in in one way, I'd I'd love to I'd love to have this. So it's easy to say I'd love it when it's outside my price range. But now that I look at it, I'm trying to decide is it worth the risk. It has three buttons. So one of the buttons is the home button on your iPhone. If you've ever used an iPhone, that's the common button. They have another button for uh, turning on the uh, for actually snapping the picture, and then there's another one for changing the mode from uh, video to camera. But that's all you can do. They say that you can't even uh, unlock the phone. And so that what that does for me is I would literally have to uh, wipe out my email because we've got a policy on the email server that if you're using email, you have to have a PIN code and it has to lock after an amount of time. So before I put in the case, I'd have to wipe out the email and remove the lock code so I could actually use ah. it underwater. And then you know, the way the in the United States, the way we have phone plans, is that the carriers subsidize the plan. So you're, that phone that you get for $199 from your carrier is really a $500, $600 phone. So you know, that's a lot of risk you're putting in that case if you flood it. So as much as I've said that I would love to have one of these, I think the reality of it is going to be that I, I'm probably better off buying uh, a reasonable camera and then buying a housing. Yeah, go for a GoPro for 300 bucks. You know it's good. Yeah. The depth is good. No, no, no something worry about somebody trying to call you when you're in the middle of a dive. Now, something where this might be handy might be for shallower situations or uh, m- maybe to have it on the boat where I don't actually even intend on taking it in the water. It sounds like more like a splash case or, you know, fall overboard case to protect it. Yeah, yeah. it just it just got me was that 100 foot rating I thought was was actually pretty good. Now, an iPad case there. I'm still looking for one of those famous last words, but. Okay, the next potentially cool gear we have up there, and, and it's a submarine, so I couldn't resist Mac. We have to show this one. And where is this at? Oh, I didn't. It wasn't at my show notes. It might be. As, if you go in the show notes below the DEMA press release, the link's probably down there. And I'll also paste it into Skype and get to it that way. Not exactly the submarine that we're used to seeing. So if you can imagine what a pontoon boat looks like, and then between the pontoon, something that looks like an old film canister with windows suspended into the water. So as the pontoons float, you're approximately, I would say, three meters below the surface sitting in a capsule. So kind of a, a different twist on a glass-bottom boat. Oh, that's cool. So nice. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, hey, I, I would be looking at it, but when I opened up that window in my, my viewer, you know, the commercials that always come up with it. Uh-huh. Uh, this was a... Uh, Victoria's Secret commercial. That's on the right-hand side. That's pretty neat, too. Well, that's yeah, diving-related. That, that's distracting. Well, but that's just a, that's appropriate uh, beachwear for divers. Well, I don't know. I focus more on the sub-first, so that's, my mind must be definitely on submersibles. Well, Max, <laughs> you're just showing your age. Well, you just think about going down on something different. <laughs> uh, so, Actually, uh, why don't they look happy in the submarine? Yeah. Well, the one at the bottom looks a little disproportionate, but she sure as hell will not sink. <laughs> okay, so did, did we polish off the news? Did that take everything out of there? They say how much that little submersible is worth. Uh, do they? I'm trying to see in the article. I don't I'm think looking, they do. I, I don't see it. You know, what this one almost looks like is, I would say, kind of an art piece or a concept. You know, probably somebody built it, and then they, they went and they're trying to pitch it to... Because you know, when you look at that, what I think what that would be neat for, because you look at how much deck space you have. So there's that, an article on that that says if you go to the Poplar Mechanics and it didn't give me the year, there's a DIY article for building that for uh, 20-something years ago. Really? Huh. Well, yeah, because I could see, uh, I mean, I could see how you could adapt this and make a different version of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I was just looking at the link here. Take a link and see if it goes back to that popular mechanics article. I thought you were going to say Victoria's Secret. No, I've already got that. That's a permanent link. Yeah, he's got that one under favorite, so no problem. <laughs> uh, and then we did have, 
hopefully you guys are playing around with that. We did have somebody leave a comment on our Google Plus page. So if you go to uh, the Scuba Obsessed website, www.scubaobsessed.com, you can find links to many different resources where you can interact with us. And one of them is Google Plus, and and I and this one was Brian Rossman uh, left a post, and I apologize to Brian for it taking me a couple weeks to to really pay attention to get over there. I was posting stuff in there, and that, that's where I'm not really quite so good on Google. Like on Facebook, it's rare for me to miss something that somebody directs to us at the show. But in Google, it's like I I almost feel a little bit like Twitter. Like if I'm not watching it, the moment it happens, it, it whizzes on by. But somehow I was looking around and I found that he had he had left a post and he says, I'm listening to episode 106. At the start, you covered the dive accident that may have been CO related. After a little research, he found a uh, detector. He says, yes, it's another piece of gear, but if you're diving in an area where regulations might not be as strict and dive shops are a little questionable, it might be a lifesaver. So I'm going to paste that into the the chat room and into the show notes. And, uh, you know, it, it does look like a, a handy gear to have. And, you know, after, you know, just, just a tragedy of something, you know, what's, what's your life worth when you're going to places where they might not be taking the care that we need to. So that was the scuba. Uh, then there's the, uh, so at the bottom of this article, they're talking about the scuba pro tank test kit, uh, pocket CO2, uh, CO instrument manual, uh, test bag, laminate instruction card, one cylinder, good for three calibration tests in one year. So, so they, they got all sorts of stuff on there. Well, they're made in Korea, by the way. Those little submersibles. Oh, the submersible is. Yeah, I found the site. Now, does that actually yeah. submerse, or is that just no. it just floats along the surface? Floats on the surface, propulsion there, but they appears to be made in Korea. There you go. There you have it. So Samsung or Hyundai or. <laughs> I put the link on there. Then we'll. Put that into the show notes in the chat room as well. Okay, so that does it for the news. And then so we'll go ahead and talk about diving. Now, I didn't, I didn't, again, I didn't get any diving. I did play around with my gear, get my gear together. But, uh, Mac, now I, I saw you doing some diving, but it didn't look like I saw any water. Now, it's another safety week for uh, jumping. Uh, right now I'm wearing, I think it's called a Hoyer holster. I'm all wired on the EKG stuff today. Okay. It's, it itches like hell, so what can I say? Is it so waterproof? I'm out, out of diving at least for a few more days. Is it waterproof? No, I asked her that. She says, no and don't. <laughs> well, how are they going to get an accurate reading if you don't go through a normal daily's day routine? Well, I told them I'd, I'd like to take a jump with it on, and uh, they said, knock yourself out, but I don't think I can do that between now and in the morning, so what the hell? Oh, okay. <laughs> Could you? I, I want to be there when they read that test strip. <laughs> well, I, I wear my one that I got. It's a chest monitor, and you can put it on your wrist. And we did that a couple of years ago. We were trying to find out at what point do you get used to it, because some guys get up in the airplane, they just go to sleep until it's time to get out, which is not a good deal. And some people just do not appear to have a nervous bone in their body. And But when you get up there and you're looking at the actual you know, your, how fast your heartbeat is, is done or your RPM, let's uh, so to speak. It's amazing how high that is. But when you exit, for whatever reason, mine goes right down once I get the hell out of the airplane. So uh-huh. what I think it is, is my body is saying it's not natural to be in an airplane. They crash all the time. Get out, get out. <laughs> so once you do, you're fine. Get out, get out, huh? Get out. Yeah. But you, you know, the door, get out. But I would like to have uh, something like that for for diving because I, I think I'm the same way when I go scuba diving. When I get out of the boat into the water, you know, I'm I'm okay at that point, but then when I'm floating around on the surface, I just I can just feel my heart racing. But when I start going down the anchor line, then I'm calm. I'm the same way. I am more comfortable one foot under the surface than I am on the surface. Yeah. On the surface because, you know, even though I know I'm fine, you know, I've got air, I can breathe, you know, I've got a snorkel or whatever. I yeah, I'm fine. But that beating around in the waves of the water and then bouncing off the boat, and yeah, there's just something about that. Well, it, it, half the battle is putting on that freaking restrictive wetsuit. <laughs> I mean, your heartbeat goes up when you're getting that on, especially oh, yeah, for hot. I, I, that, that is, I think that's the difference between you know a rookie wetsuit diver and you start getting some in, is that whole pacing and then not fighting. Because there's, there's times, I mean, I have destroyed more wetsuit gloves by, you know, and I think part of it is, 
what we do to ourselves in diving of, of trying not to let other divers down. You got your dive buddy and, you know, we ideally want to get in the water nearly the same time and then go down. And I always feel bad if I'm fighting with my gear for some reason. So it just starts building up that stress and you fight to get everything back on. So. Well, Darren, I think, you know, when, when you dive with me, I usually try to let you hit the water first. Mm-hmm. Um, just so you can get in and get going. Yeah. Uh, and then I try to follow just, for one, just to take that pressure off. Yeah. And two, the other piece of it is it's my boat. I'm more comfortable on it. You know, I just want to make sure whoever comes out with me gets a good dive in. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah you're, and you're right. There's, there, there are times that you're struggling and you're, when you have to work at someone else's pace, that always can be frustrating, whether you're slowing down so you don't get too far ahead of them or you're trying to speed up and catch with them. Yeah. Yeah. Also depends if you did a good dive briefing so you already know your contingency plans and what you plan to do, which is another good reason to do that. Because like sometime on us now, remember, we're still semi-solo diving, but it's sequenced. So we're mm-hmm. not always dependent upon the other guy being in the water with you at the same time. Yeah, right. That's not right. that if we had a lot of personnel, that wouldn't well, be a good thing to do, well, but we well, don't. Also, I think it has to do with the familiarity of the site. You know, yeah. like on your wreck, uh, because we did that so often last year. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I, I just think it's a natural thing that anxiety, now I want to say anxiety, sounds, sounds like having a panic attack, but that accelerated heart rate when you first get in. Uh, is, isn't as pronounced on that one, you know, so it kind of goes to your point in the plane, you know, what, at what point do you become familiar with it? Then you got those old people who just have a uh, will of steel and then yeah, nothing affects them. I don't know too many people like that. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I think part of that's why we get into some of what some people might call extreme sports is we do love a little bit of that adrenaline rush you get for having a challenge and then being able to overcome it. Yeah. The thrill of discovery. Well, if we didn't like pushing our limits a little bit, we'd have never gone any deeper than our checkout dives. Yeah, true. Yep. I mean, I, whenever we're diving up north up to uh, Port Huron and doing the fast water, now I, I got a little more adrenaline rush there because the current is such that you need to be mentally ready for it and your gear needs to be ready for it when you get in the water. Yeah, you have to be set. Yeah. And so uh, we, so n- none of us got wet this week. No, but I think we're getting closer to it now. Jim, you mentioned before the show that the boat might be getting in the water soon. Well, I'm going to pull it out of the storage barn this weekend and bring it home and start cleaning it up and getting it ready, depending on how much work I can do with it on my shoulder. But uh, once I'm sure it's not going to get into freezing nights uh, so I can crack the outdrive, I'll get it in there uh, as soon as I could. Well, that does it for the dives that we didn't get in. How about upcoming dives? Anybody have any planned? Well, to do something last week. Uh, I gave two presentations over at uh, Lakeshore High School. Uh, I got invited over there to talk to their uh, the gentlemen who are taking the scuba class as part of their welding certification so they can get in and do some underwater welding. So they invited me over to talk about the dive club and a little bit on commercial and what's required for their certs. But uh, I... I, hopefully from that we're going to get a couple of people, so that that was fun. And then again we have this coming. Let's see, let me look at my calendar here. Uh, next Wednesday, yes. I'll be doing that uh, shipwreck explorer time over there at the uh, museum uh-huh. at the North Barren Historical Museum. That's from one o'clock till I think three o'clock for the kids. And Jake is coming down to give me a hand, and Mr. Ed's going to be there, and my wife. So we'll have some representatives, and hopefully I think I think we're going to have a good time. Excellent. Good. Good. Now, the, the chat room is, is, is kind of giving us some grief because they say that the chat room is diving more than the hose. <laughs> well, we're giving them a chance to get caught up. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it's kind of like when you're idling and you're going to do a drag race and, you know, they're just, you know, you got to let them get close out and you blow them away. They they don't know what happened. Slow and steady. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward. I am getting all ready. I've got a dive trip planned. Uh, I've got one more work, uh, one more day of work tomorrow. Uh, cars having a little bit of work done to it before I can load it up. Otherwise, I'd have my dive gear all loaded up. And then myself and Jim Kleeman and the families are going to be heading down to Florida. And we're going to get as much diving as possible in. I don't know if that's going to be three dives or 300 dives or somewhere most likely in between. I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping on maybe 10 or 15, but you know, I don't know how much we're going to be able to sell through. 
There will be pictures, I take it. I'm sure I will do a picture. And then if everything goes well, we will be doing a live from Florida podcast next week. Oh, excellent. So, uh, well, we do have an April Fool's Eve. That's on Sunday at Gull Lake, by the way. Oh, so Sunday at Gull Lake. Uh, and yep. I'm already going to be on the road. I should be in Kentucky almost uh, uh, starting. Uh, um, we're going we're gonna to do Florida in two days. So we'll drive halfway down, uh, enjoy a nice hotel, and then go the, the rest of the way. So uh, I'll be thinking about you. So Well, just for, for grins and giggles, that's 1 o'clock. That'll be at the Prairie Reveal Park, not the Ross Township. Yep. If anybody out there wants to go to it. Yep. And then Dave in the chat room is saying that uh, the White Star Quarry in Ohio is going to officially be open on April 1st, Sunday. <laughs> uh, but, Dave, I know they've already been open and people have been getting some dives in. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, this, is, this is a nice year. Hopefully that the uh, this will be a boost for dive shops, that they'll be able to get some, some divers in. Also, if you're a diver and you haven't been able to get in the water because you don't have a dive buddy, you need to build one. Mm-hmm. You need to go out, do some recruiting, bring them in. You know, if you belong to a dive club or organization, dive organization, uh, dive social, get involved. And uh, that's a good way of finding a dive buddy. Well, that's what I stressed to the guys there at the class. Because uh, a couple of them had finished last year. said, how many dives you got in since then? And it was four. And that was part of that with the class. And I said, why not? And he says, don't got no buddies. And I said, that's what a dive club's for. You've got to have more than one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they, they don't have an idea. The, the, just how Jim and I were surprised when we first got in with the club. I mean, it's absolutely amazing to be able to connect with so many people who love diving. And even if the dive club's not active, it doesn't take a whole lot of things to get it. In, in, you know, how many places has, you know, you and uh, Jim and uh, Bob and Kurt, Larry, taken us to different spots that, you know, you wouldn't have gone again because it has been all old stuff and got out and showed us the ropes. Well, that's why I've been going up with the SAS group on the Wednesday dives because I normally don't go that far, but it's been fun. I've been to some places I haven't been, and I'm going to go back. Yeah. So lots of diving opportunities, and it's then the year's just beginning. So don't forget to check out the Scuba Obsessed Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We're hitting over, we're, we're, We've we've hit over the 250 likes mark, and we would love some more. If you haven't been over there, why not? Uh, also, you can catch us on Google Plus. You can follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Scuba Obsessed. We have uh, we do uh, nearly daily, if not daily, news feeds. So a lot of these same articles we talked about in the show, we paste on the Scoop It news feed. So you can go ahead and follow us there. Also, if you have some feedback for the show, if there's things you'd like to see, guests you'd like to be on, Send us an email at the show at Scuba Obsessed and let us know. Uh, if you've got a dive business, if you make dive equipment or something and you want to come and talk to us, you think we want to know about it, uh, uh, drop us an email. And if we think it's interesting enough to be on the show, we'll put it on. And, if, of course, you've listened to the show, so you know that you know anything scuba-related, it pretty much makes it on here. And then, once again, I'd like to thank everybody in the chat room who's, who's come tonight. We've had uh, Dave Trompy, Lynch Diver, Tony, Chris, uh, Lisa was here for a bit, Jeff. Paul, Brett, Bernard, uh, even some anonymous guests who have come on in. It's great to see everybody again. Love chatting. And then after the show, we do a dive uh, roundtable. I haven't been posting them to talk to. Maybe someday I'll go through and edit them all again. But uh, let's say that the the manner of conversation makes it a little tough sometimes to edit and put on the air. So it might take me a few weekends if I do decide to piece them together to make a show. But we'd like to have you come on and uh Tell us what kind of dives you're getting and, and rub it in when you dive more than us. We can handle it, mostly. <laughs> mostly. We gnash our teeth a little bit. A little bit. I, I'm going to be jealous. You know, I have a little envy, but, uh, you know, we we sure love to hear about it. Just don't find a Hutchie before I do. <laughs> okay. Oh, And then also scuba jokes. If you come across any scuba jokes, send them my way. My list is getting a little smaller all of a sudden. Okay, well. Is it that time? It is that time. And, you know, you know how I say we we let them age so they can ferment? This one might have turned. Uh-oh. So, it's furry, huh? Yeah, and there's some that I don't paste in, and I'm like, well, maybe it will get better. And it, it, no, it usually doesn't go that way. You know, they, 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 and they I don't know, maybe you call it mellowing. Is mellowing a polite way of saying molding? Mellowing. Mellowing. Well, 
I guess you could say so. Say so. Of course, it's so. your show. You can say anything you want. <laughs> Usually, guys. <laughs> Usually, I put my foot in my mouth more ways than I care to remember. So, any any last comments or words before we get into the joke? Go for it. Uh, I I guess we got to do it. We got to do it. Okay. A girl asks her boyfriend to come over Friday night to meet and have dinner with her parents. Since this is a big event, the girl announces to her boyfriend that after dinner she'd like to go out and make love for the first time. The boy is ecstatic, but he has never had sex before, so he takes a trip to the pharmacist to get some condoms. He tells the pharmacist it's the first time the pharmacist helps the boy for an hour. He tells the boy everything there is to know about condoms and sex. At the register, the pharmacist asks the boy the condoms he'd like to buy. He says the three-pack, the ten-pack, or the family pack. The boy insists on the family pack because he thinks he'd be rather busy, that being his first time and all. That night, the boy shows up at the girl's parents' house and meets the girlfriend at the door. Oh, I'm so excited for you to meet my parents. Come on in. The boy goes inside, is taken for dinner at the table where the girl's parents are seated. The boy quickly offers to say grace and bow his head. A minute passes. The boy is still deep in prayer with his head down. Ten minutes passes and still no movement from the boy. Finally, after 20 minutes with his head down, the girlfriend leans over whispers to the boyfriend, I had no idea you were this religious. The boy turns and whispers back, I had no idea your father was a pharmacist. Okay. <laughs> I imagine that would be a tad embarrassing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think we broke new ground there. And until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no pharmacists were harmed in the making of this show. Recording has been completed. I'll be safe, Mac. <laughs> yep, you take it easy on that arm. If that thing screwed up, you're going to be out for a couple of weeks if you're that's, lucky. That's been a couple of weeks already. That's why I'm not doing a whole lot more. Uh, uh, you've been flying? I heard you were chucking wood in the backyard. Well, not really. I was just moving, you know, slowly moving the log from one side to another. Small, yeah. oh, small piece. The only other big thing, don't forget to get your lottery ticket tomorrow, 500 mil. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. Hey, you've been flying lately? You ought to go flying with your with your uh, gear on.